evening and welcome candidates, you who are in the audience and those viewing at home. As a courtesy to all those present, please silence your cell phones. This is the primary race candidate forum for the Democratic nomination for State House District 90. All candidates tonight are members of the Democratic Party. I'm Kelsey Patrick Faree, member of the League of Women Voters of Johnson County, and I'll be the moderator for tonight's forum. The forum is being live streamed on the League's Facebook page. It is also being recorded for rebroadcast on the three public education and government channels in Iowa City, Coralville, and North Liberty. Please check their websites for scheduling. Additional information about candidates may be found on the League's... Sorry. <laughs> on the League's vote411.org website. Everybody check your phones again, okay? <laughs> The League of Women Voters is a volunteer, nonpartisan organization that neither supports nor opposes any party or candidate, which is why we have the policy that campaign literature is welcome outside of this room following the forum, and no buttons, signs, or literature can be worn or distributed inside of this room. The League does take positions after considerable study of issues and acts to influence decision makers on those issues. We work to not only register voters, but also to provide them with information on issues to assist their participation in government. Membership is open to anyone 16 years of age and older. Join us. We can use your time, your talent, and your financial resources. League members advocate and inform voters. Democracy works best when more people are involved. Find us at www.lwvjc.org. The views expressed in this forum are those of the candidates. All viable candidates have been invited to participate. After candidates have been introduced, they will each have two minutes for opening remarks. We will then present questions to them, starting with one from the league, followed by one submitted on cards by you in the audience. League members are distributing cards and pencils for you to write down questions on. If you're looking for a card, please raise your hand. You may submit as many written questions for the candidates as you wish. Hold up the card and a league member will collect them throughout the forum and bring them to me to read. Questions that fall in the same general category may be consolidated. If time does not allow for all questions to be addressed, you may contact the candidates directly after the forum at another time. Each candidate will have one minute to respond to each question. Due to the time frame, there will be not, not be time for rebuttals. Near the end of the scheduled time for this event, each candidate will have two minutes for their closing remarks. Speaking order will be rotated throughout the evening. Mary Jo Langhorn, league member, is our timekeeper tonight, using cards to alert candidates when time is about up and when it is up. The primary election is scheduled for June 7th, and early voting begins May 18th. Requests for vote-by-mail ballots are currently being accepted by the Johnson County Auditor's Office. We have three candidates running for one seat on the general election ballot for a two-year term. Mr. Andrew Dunn, Mr. Adam Zabner, and Ms. Christy Wolf are seeking positions on the Democratic ballot. One of the three candidates will advance to the general election in November. Audience members, please write your questions on the cards provided and pass them to a league member who will advance them to me. 
Let's get started with opening statements. Please speak directly into the microphone so you can be heard. To the candidates, let's start with your two-minute opening statements, starting with Mr. Dunn. Thank you very much. Uh, before I introduce myself, I want to take a moment to acknowledge the gravity of the news from two days ago. Uh, if the draft opinion that was written by Justice Alito becomes law uh, and constitutional, millions of people around the United States will lose the right to choose. If anything anyone says up here today excites you, please don't donate to us. Channel that energy into a donation to the Emma Goldman Clinic and Planned Parenthood. Abortion access must be protected, and we need to support those on the front lines of that fight. That being said, my name is Andrew Dunn, and I am a seventh-generation Iowan raised in a family of teachers, nurses, and blue-collar workers. Everyone has a story of what moved them to act, of what moved them to get involved with politics and advocacies. Mine comes in 2008. My parents lost their jobs in our home. In, in 2012, with President Obama on the ballot again, I realized that if I wasn't using my voice to advocate for families like mine who needed help, I was wasting my life. So I joined the fight, and I've delivered on many of the most pressing issues that we face today. From 2018 to 2021, I fought to protect our kids, our teachers, and our community from gun violence, leading the statewide efforts of March for Our Lives Iowa. I've been fighting for public education, and I've delivered. As a nonpartisan uh, adv advocate to the legislature, I worked for years to extend the local option save tax funding for school facilities. Iowa City got that money last year. I've been fighting for LGBTQ rights, and in this horrible climate, I delivered. In 2016, my work resulted in a de facto ban on gay conversion therapy for minors. I've been fighting to protect our environment on the board of the Iowa Farmers Union, where we work, with sustainable, we work to build sustainable food economies and clean up our water. And finally, I've been working on all of these issues over the last three years as an aide in the Iowa Senate. I've been on the ground as an organizer all over the country, in the weeds in the chambers, and fighting tooth and nail for Iowans for nearly a decade. The decisions that we make and the ways that we choose to spend our time matter. I chose to fight early, and I choose to fight for you. I hope to fight for you, for our families, for our party, and for our future. Thank you. Mr. Zabner, your opening statement. Yeah, hi. Thank you, everyone, for joining, and thanks to the League for putting this together. I think in the wake of the revelations, of the revelation this week of the court's inability to protect key human rights, it has become clear how important state legislatures will be in the future. And so I want to thank everyone for coming tonight, for getting involved, and for thinking about, you know, who you're going to choose to, to represent you in Des Moines. Um, I'm running because my, my parents came here from Venezuela 30 years ago for my dad to train at the University of Iowa. They had never lived somewhere this cold. They'd never lived in a small town. Um, and they planned to stay for three years and not one more day. What they found was an incredibly welcoming community, a place with a lot of opportunity, some of the best schools in the country. And so they've been here for 30 years, and they decided to raise my brothers and I right here in Iowa City. Because of that decision, I received a world-class education at City High, and I've had access to the best our state has to offer. I'm running because today, I see my friends not making that same decision. As Iowa has divested from public education, as Iowa has attacked marginalized communities, 
our largest export is no longer corn or soybeans, it is youth and opportunity. We need to find a way to invest in and retain our best young people here in Iowa. We need to lead on issues like healthcare, education, and climate change. That's why I'm running for the State House. That's why I've done the work as an organizer to help elect Democrats right here in Iowa, and I'm gonna keep doing that work. Um, I'm really proud to say that folks like County Supervisor Rod Sullivan, Bob and Sue Dvorsky, and School Board Vice President Ruthina Malone have endorsed my campaign, and it would be an honor to have your support on June 7th. And Ms. Wolf, your opening statement. Good evening. Am I good? I can't tell. <laughs> Okay, thank you. Um, thank you for being here uh, this evening. My name is Christy Wolf, and I have lived in the Iowa City community over 25 years. I grew up in eastern Iowa in Clinton and left to go to college and uh, worked for a few years, um, you know, got the opportunity to spend some time in some different communities, and came back in my late 20s to go to law school. I graduated with my law degree and went to graduate school in education. I also have my PhD in education with an emphasis on policy, and one of my areas of specialty is uh, school choice and vouchers. So this has been an interesting time for me. Um, <laughs> the people don't like to sit next to me at dinner. So <laughs> uh, I have two kids. They've been through the uh, Iowa City schools, and my son is a first-year student here at Iowa. We live in the student-built house right across the street from City High. Back in 2000, 2001, they had a building trade program at the, at the school. And so I, I like to tell people our house was built by 16 and 17 year olds. So sometimes it tilts a little. Uh, my husband is a teacher in Cedar Rapids schools and I have had the pleasure of this past session serving as a legislative clerk for my sister, Representative Mary Wolf, who is finishing a 12 year tenure representing Clinton County out in Des Moines. Uh, she's the oldest, so I learned a lot from her by watching and not questioning, but she has done an amazing job as an advocate. While I was out there sitting next to her, watching things happen this session, I really got a strong sense of how important our, our state legislature is, and especially right now, as, as my, my colleagues have mentioned, um, states' rights are getting more and more robust, and it's time for us to really kind of hold our state legislators and our governor accountable for some of the things that have been going on. So I hope to go out to Des Moines and represent you, represent the best interests of this community, bring my experience and my expertise, but also bring the, the thoughts and ideas of this community that I've grown to love over the past 25 years. Thank you. Thank you. We will now proceed to questions. Questions include those offered by league members as well as questions from the audience. Recall that you have one minute to respond each. The first question is from the League of Women Voters. In recent years, we've seen the Iowa legislature challenge the principle of local control by limiting local ordinances and bringing forward legislation that impinges on local control. Speak to your views on the legislature and local control. We'll start with Mr. Zabner. Yeah, I mean, this has been a crucial issue here in Iowa City and Johnson County, whether it's the 1010 minimum wage or other ordinances. You know, it seems like once something starts to be talked about at the county level or city council here, Republicans in Des Moines are already getting ready to stop us from having control. Um, and I think it's wrong. I think our communities should have the ability to make these sorts of decisions about what they want to look like, 
how they want to that they want to have fair fair rights for workers, fair wages, um, what they want their communities to look like. And so, we need a legislature that takes local control seriously, understands the quality of people we have here in our communities, fighting to represent them, um, and, and gets out of the way. Ms. Wolf, your response. When I think of local control, I think of it more in relation to schools. We've had a long history of local control of school boards. There's a reason we have over 300 school districts, each with its own separate governing school board. This session, we also saw a real push into that as the legislature tried to ban certain books, tried to dictate curriculum, and have really alienated so many teachers. In addition, we saw government overreach in terms of just regulatory things where people in the legislature were saying the legislature should have oversight over our judges we should have oversight over our court systems and it's really gotten to the point where where it seems as if it, it's helpful when it wants to be helpful and then it's local control when it needs to be local control i have seen that when one of the uh, judiciary committees was trying to insert themselves into the judicial nomination process, there was pushback and it didn't go anywhere. And it didn't go anywhere because people spoke up. So I, I encourage you to continue to do that when it comes to local control. Mr. Dunn. Thank you. Really, I think of you know what's been happening with local control is just an example, a manifestation of the meanness and vindictiveness that has entered our politics. Uh, it is all, we have all the power from the Republicans, you will have none. Uh, the, the, the problems with that are, are vast. Uh, there, there, it speaks to worker conditions when it talks about, or when we talk about wages. It speaks to public health measures when we talk about eliminating the ability for schools and municipalities to en enact mask mandates that keep people alive, literally from dying. It, it, it affects education with book banning, the, the ability for uh, schools to you know, choose what they spend their own money on instead of having things earmarked like cameras in classrooms to literally create a big brother state for our teachers. It affects our democracy too. Local electors, pardon me, uh, local elections are the closest we can get to the governmental process. Our local elected officials, our mayors, our city councilors, our county board of supervisors, who, who I'm, I'm glad to be having uh, in attendance tonight. Uh, you are the most responsive people to the electorate. You're able to understand the issues that affect us and the solutions that are best for our community. The state government disagrees. Uh, I disagree with the state government, <laughs> which is particularly, again, controlled by the GOP. So uh, again, when it comes down to it, I support local control. I support making those decisions by the people that are closest to the voters. Thank you. The next question comes from the audience. Industrial agriculture has become a real problem in Iowa. The industry says we feed the world when we can't even feed our own community. Please respond to overall issues. Uh, Ms. Wolf. Thank you. It's interesting because when I've been door knocking here in Iowa City, this has come up. People have said we're too beholden to big ag and big ag is pushing too much of what's going on. But when you step out of Johnson County, I'll be honest, agriculture is very serious. Uh, up in Albernet, there was a um, 
uh, kerfuffle at the local level because somebody wanted to sell their land to use for solar panels and solar solar farming. And I was talking to one of the representatives from there, and I said, well, you know, what's the problem? Why, why is there this disagreement? And I really appreciate it. He said, it's, it's personal. It's emotional. This is Iowa farmland, and it should be farmed like Iowa farmland should. So the people who are protesting really just are kind of tied to the land and the importance of the land. Certainly, there are ways and places that the legislature can be doing a better job, um, wastewater, uh, big farms that are pushing out family farms. I've seen some real advances with sustainability efforts. And one of the places I think that we'll see more of that is when Iowa legalizes marijuana. I think that will be a way for us to break into that kind of industrial complex of agriculture and work on a more sustainable agricultural um, method here. Thank you. Mr. Dunn. I would, again, agree with a lot of the comments of Ms. Wolf. Agriculture is a huge thing in Iowa. In fact, one-third of all dollars spent in this state are directly linked to the agricultural economy. That being said, the current economy and the way that we run agriculture in this state, as well as many other states in the Midwest, is not sustainable. Uh, it's not going to last forever. It's extremely extractive, destroys our water, destroys our soil, and destroys our health. Uh, there needs to be a change. Uh, I see the subsidization of a lot of uh, the aspects of industrial agriculture, uh, modern uh, row cropping, uh, mono or biculture through corn and soy, uh, as chiefly an economic program that makes sure that people in rural Iowa don't go poor. That's important. People in rural Iowa matter. We have to make sure that they're taken care of and that they have ways to make money. But we have to transition at this point. Uh, so, you know, doing things to uh, make sure that we can diversify the crops that are, that are uh, grown in our, our, our communities. Making sure that we're not importing 90% of the state's food. Uh, creating food hubs, as well as investing in, uh, you know, recreational and legalized cannabis and industrial hemp uh, are all things that would absolutely be proven to, uh, to improve outcomes for health, environment, uh, and in the long term, a sustainable agricultural economy in this state. But the state has to take part in that. The state has to be a partner, not an antagonist, uh, and I do firmly believe in that. Thank you. Mr. Zabner. Yeah, I mean, when we talk about government overreach, they tried to pass legislation this session saying that if land was suitable for farmland, you can't put solar panels there. Now, if we know that we need our communities to run on renewable energy, we need to electrify our economy, we cannot be beholden to a one-size-fits-all model for our most important resource, our land here. Um, and that means changing how our land use works here in Iowa. We also need to give real teeth to the Department of Natural Resources. They've been underfunded. They don't have the resources to do all, inspe all the inspections they need to. And oftentimes when they do find malfeasance, it's much cheaper to pay the bill um, than to actually comply and follow the law. And so we have some of the worst water in the country here in Iowa. In Des Moines, they have the, one of the most uh, advanced wastewater treat or sorry water treatment plants in the world because they are getting all these nitrates coming in from our our streams and our rivers um, and so the legislature needs to take this seriously we need to protect drinking water um, and and it's it's been really bad to see the, the lack of action from our leaders on this issue the next question, what would you do to address the governor's push to publicly fund private schools? We'll start with Mr. Dunn. 
So I think the first thing that we need to do is make sure we're doing a lot of messaging to rural Iowa. Because the reality of the situation right now is the only reason the voucher bill the, or the education savings accounts, ESAs, as Governor Reynolds is trying to fraudulently call it, uh, has not passed is because there are 12 Republicans in rural Iowa that understand there are consequences for their actions if they vote for this bill. Facts matter. Communication matters honest trust with people and communicating the actual numbers and sense of the deal is, is really what, what gets uh, you know, rural voters uh, and, and even more moderate or conservative voters motivated into action. The 12 Republicans in the House know this. So I, I personally believe uh, that those people should be commended should they hold out. Uh, and I think that we need to continue to uh, elect Democrats all across the state so that we don't even have to worry about the Republicans doing the right thing. Uh, that requires massive investments in organization, community building, uh, sustainable investment in local economies, diversification, uh, and the introduction of uh, you know, various ways for people to get business loans so they can have small businesses again. Uh, Thank you. Lots of things. Mr. Dunn. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Zabner. Yeah, I mean... I'm thinking about a day um, I spent in Plymouth County during the caucuses, knocking doors, and it got to be 5 p.m., and we're still out knocking doors, and all of a sudden, no one was home. Um, and we drove past the high school, and we found out what was happening, which is that there was a volleyball game, and the entire community was there. In rural Iowa, our schools are so, so important. In a lot of places, they are the only thing communities have left, and people there know that if they lose their school, they lose their community. That's why there's been so much resistance to consolidation. That's why the governor is struggling to pass this bill. And so we need to explain to people what this bill is going to do to their schools. People need to understand that private schools do not have oversight from the public. Those federal dollars will go to schools that don't have to accept kids with disabilities. They don't have to accept English language learners. They don't have to accept kids with behavioral problems. Um, and it's just plain wrong. And so. We need to fight it tooth and nail, and I think it really does give us an opportunity to get out to parts of the state we've missed, explain what Democrats want to do to make our schools better, and how, why we need to get back to having the best schools in the country. And Ms. Wolf, can I have you read the question again, please? What would you do to address the governor's push to publicly fund private schools? Thank you. In Iowa City, we have a strong Catholic school system in um, Regina and then we also have Willow Wind and we have some other programs that are available to young people but there are communities where the, where the private schools are kind of coded to allow people to take their kids there to remove them from elements that they find that they do not like about public schools that's fine I went to Catholic school 16 years and uh, you know, there were eight kids in my family, but my parents sent us to Catholic school and paid tuition, and it was a choice that they made. They chose to send us there, and they paid the tuition to send us there. It's as simple as that. There's no reason public dollars for public education should go to private schools. That would be like, hey, I know there's a swimming pool at City Park, but I'd like one in my backyard. <laughs> and no one else can swim in it. So I think that it's as simple as that, and I, I agree with Mr. Dunn and Mrs. Abner. We need to educate people on that, and I, too, I'm really impressed by those Republicans who are holding strong. Kudos to them. They're doing a great job. Thank you. The next question, 
Iowa has amongst the worst water quality in the nation. What would your solution be to the water quality issue? We'll start with Mr. Zabner. Yeah, I mean, we touched on this earlier. We need a DNR that is properly funded, that has real teeth, that's able to go out and do these inspections and make sure that people are following the laws. We need to stop farming the two-year floodplain. I mean, we are federally insuring crops that we now have a 50% chance of flooding every year. And when that happens, all that runoff goes into our water. Um, and so there's, there's a lot we can do to protect clean water in our state. And it starts by taking it seriously as a priority and by funding people both at our universities and our Department of Natural Resources who are experts, who know how to take on these problems and can come up with innovative solutions. Ms. Wolf. Building off of that, I agree that the, one of the great things we can do is continue to fund our educational systems and our region's institutions. They're doing a great job bringing these to the forefront. Um, when I worked at Coe College for 15 years, there was a chemistry professor there, and every year he would work with a group of students, and they would just go out and test water. It was a very, it was a very um, sought-after opportunity. And he continued to make sure that that information was getting out there, because I think that a lot of people, especially those of us in communities like Iowa City, don't really acknowledge how much is going into the water system outside of here. So I do think we just have to continue to make people aware of what's going on. Mr. Dunn. Thank you. I think there's a lot of things that need to be done. Uh, the first thing needs to be a moratorium on CAFOs, both the development of and the, uh, you know, uh, the development of existing CAFOs, as well as the expansion of, uh, of more CAFOs across the state. Uh, that's going to have a huge impact on both greenhouse gases as well as nutrients, what they call uh, you know, fertilizer or manure uh, that goes into our land and thus into the water. Uh, at the same time, I think that we need to incentivize good agricultural practices like not just spreading manure on a field, but injecting it if it has to be done, uh, done that way. Uh, I would also agree with you know, not farming in the two-year floodplain. Uh, I think you probably need to expand beyond the two-year floodplain, but that's just me. Uh, I also think that we need to uh, depoliticize uh, the Board of Regents. Uh, make it something that is selected and the, the potential appointees uh, are, are given to the governor uh, by a bipartisan or nonpartisan commission so that the institutions at the University of Iowa, at the U University of Northern Iowa, and Iowa State, which is so deeply ingrained in the water crisis, uh, are not making political decisions and are not going to be affected by retaliation. Thank you. In November, Iowa could become the fourth state to pass a strict scrutiny version of the Second Amendment, accompanying Missouri, Alabama, and Louisiana, which all rank in the top five of states with the highest rate of gun deaths. How will you encourage your constituents to vote, and why? And we'll start with you, Ms. Wolf. That's a really good question. Um, if you talk to the legislators who have put forward changing the Iowa Constitution to mirror the Constitution and the Second Amendment, they'll, they'll explain it quite simply. Oh, that's all it is. We're just bringing it in line. But the fact of the matter of the wording of that amendment to the Iowa Constitution recognizes Iowa as a sovereign state and enables us to establish gun laws. I don't know about you, but both of those things make me uncomfortable. I think that we need to continue to let people know 
this is an amendment to the Constitution of Iowa. And, and people say, well, we do that. We've done that in the past. We do that all the time. No, maybe we have, and maybe, maybe there are times that we should. But I'm going to say, I, I don't want to make it about guns. You know, we can do about something else. Civil rights, I'm all for it. Human rights, I'm all for it. The rights of, of the disenfranchised, I'm all for it. I'm not going to change our Constitution to put more guns in people's hands. Yeah. Mr. Dunn. Thank you. You know, this is something that I worked significantly on with my work for March for Our Lives Iowa. As it came up, uh, we began planning our, our campaign to do statewide messaging, uh, particularly on this amendment. The Democrats and everyone who's interested in staying alive need to join that fight. Th this is really a matter of life and death here. Uh, we lost uh, the requirement to have a permit to carry in this state. Something I think I should point out is the fact that the vast majority, 80 plus percent of mass shootings are not carried out with an assault rifle like an AR-15 or an AK-47. They're carried out with handguns. Okay, so put that in the context of, oh, yes, and we're also going to make it so that it's near impossible for you to make any changes to these laws. It's going to be impossible for us to do anything common sense with guns. Okay, we need to call it like it is. It's radical, it's unsafe, and it's unhinged from the observed reality that we have here on the ground across the United States and here in Iowa. We need good common sense gun laws to keep us safe in this room, to keep our kids safe in the schools, uh, and our communities safe at all levels. Thank you. Mr. Zabner. Yeah, there is a vocal, small, well-funded, well-organized minority group of Iowans who are working to do something that the majority of Iowans do not want. This, this, this constitutional amendment would be a disaster. It would, you know, essentially mean that we have very little ability to regulate guns here in Iowa. And it's a clever name, strict scrutiny, because it sounds like it's maybe making things, uh, you know, better, but it's, it's really making the problem a whole lot worse. And so I would encourage everyone in this room to attend a Moms Demand Action training on this issue. They are doing really great work here in our community. Um, they will explain a lot more about what's going on, how you can get involved. Um, but this is going to be a huge part of the midterms. Um, and I think if there's one takeaway from this issue, if there's one takeaway from what happened earlier this week with the leaked decision from the Supreme Court, um, our freedoms are really on the ballot in 2022. And so it is incredibly important that we start organizing now um, and that we win in 2022. Thank you. The state legislature allowed the state tax credits for solar power to expire last year. Do you support a state credit or not, and why? Let's we'll start with Mr. Dunn. Absolutely. Uh, we need to be doing everything we can to both incentivize, uh, you know, private individuals, uh, companies, municipalities, uh, every step along the way to be going uh, both off-grid able uh, and going fully renewable in terms of, of their, where they get the energy. Uh, so if, if we can provide a tax credit uh, that makes it more likely and more affordable that people in our community and across the state can get off of fossil fuels, I, I support that without reservations. I'd probably even support an expansion of the, uh, from the previous program. Thank you. Mr. Zabner? Yeah, I mean, the legislature made a promise to Iowans who put these projects into their homes, and we need to follow through on that. That means bringing back the tax credit. Um, but I think the other thing we need to do, you know, we're in a great position, for example, here in Iowa City, where our power grid is now 87% renewable. 
So we also need tax credits to try and get people to electrify their homes. The next frontier is taking on things like natural gas heating in the home and working on electrification, whether it's induction stoves, electric water heaters, heat pumps, and that's really how we can start to really decrease the carbon footprint of our homes and of our businesses here in Iowa. And Ms. Wolf? Yes, of course we should put incentives to um, have people to use renewable energy. Uh, I'm a little pessimistic though because our governor has made it clear that she is very supportive of the ethanol industry and she worked very hard to get ethanol friendly laws passed during this legislation to the extent that they were called the governor's laws and so I do think we will have to continue to incentivize but also vote locally to get people into positions of leadership who do support alternative energy. Thank you. The Supreme Court is poised to overturn Roe v. Wade and send abortion access back to the states. The GOP wants to ban all abortions and even put an abortion ban in the state constitution. Please respond. We'll start with Mr. Zabner. Yeah. The Iowa legislature needs to affirm the right of pregnant people to obtain abortions. It's that simple. I think what we saw this week, unfortunately, is that the federal government is not going to do it for us. This is going to be a fight on the state level. Now, what we know is that the majority of Iowans believe in the right of people to obtain a safe abortion. It is a small, well-funded, vocal, and well-organized group of people who have been fighting for 50 years to strip away these rights. And we need to explain to Iowans what is on the ballot in 2022. We need to organize like hell. We need to win districts like uh, Mike Heaton, who's running down in Van Buren County against Jeff Shipley. And we need to get this done for Iowans because, you know, it's, it's what they're doing. They've said it's what they're going to do. There was a forum this week in District 3 for Congress. All three Republican candidates said they wanted to ban abortions in all cases. I mean, it is extremist, it is wrong, and Democrats need to stand up and fight. Ms. Wolf. I was waiting for the abortion question that I would answer in 60 seconds. <laughs> so here we go. Um, uh, two answers, one's political and one's personal. Politically, I remember in the 1990s when I was working in Indiana and I was an escort at some of the clinics because the uh, providers had received death threats and then the clinics provided healthcare for women. Um, I'm kind of tired that 30 years later, we're still fighting for this right. And I'm sure there are people in this state who were fighting for this right in the 60s and 70s, and my hats are off to you. But I'm, I'm tired of this argument. Women have the right to choose. On a personal level, I have two wonderful children, but I had some pregnancies before that that were non-viable. I have a very vivid memory of sitting in the UIHC with my doctor and my midwife and being explained the options I had in front of me. The pregnancies were non-viable, I could go home, I could miscarry on my own, or I could have the doctor do a medical procedure that's the equivalent of an abortion to clear the uterus. Three people needed to be part of that decision, me, my doctor, and my midwife. Nobody else's morals, nobody else's values, nobody else's religion. It was a medical appointment, and that's the way it should be. Mr. Dunn. When I think about what's happening now, I, I think about my two sisters. Uh, who are in their 30s, who uh, have, have yet to be married, who have yet to decide whether they want kids or not. I, I think about the other people 
in our community and across the country that are afraid, that are very scared of the rights that it seems like they're about to lose. Though 69% of Americans believe in that right, there still needs to be a lot done to secure that right. Uh, and in doing so, we really need to fight. Uh, we need to build bridges between urban and rural Iowa to get people on the right side of this issue, uh, to get good Democrats elected across the state so that we can do what needs to be done, which is codify Roe v. Wade, both at the state level and at the federal level. There is no alternative. At this point, we have lost the court for the time being. The solution is codify Roe. The solution will save lives. We have to fight, we have to show up, we have to organize, and we have to make sure that we don't go back. Each candidate will now have two minutes to make a closing statement. Ms. Wolf, we'll start with you. This is when I tried to think, what can I say in two minutes? See, <laughs> I'm very time oriented. Um, I have had the luxury of living in Iowa and out of Iowa, and Iowa's home. And some of the young people I've been working with told me that my first uh, thing is I should, I should come up with a new slogan because they don't like fields of opportunities. And I told them, well, maybe I should make it come back to Iowa because I think that we underestimate how many people like me leave and go out and see the world, but come back and raise our families here. And, and support the, the community. I can't imagine raising my kids any place other than Iowa City, to be quite honest. It was the best of everything we can hope for. When I think of representing this community, I think of the, the honor it would be because of the pride I have in the community. Uh, certainly, I have, I have areas of expertise. I have a law degree that kind of helps me read through things faster. I have experience in higher ed, which I think is helpful because the, the university and Kirkwood are in this area. And I have 15 years experience at higher ed, also working in K-12 schools, putting teachers in the classroom. But when I think about everything I bring, I also think of how lucky we have so many people in this community who can, who can guide us in making good decisions. And I think if I went out to Des Moines, I'd be so grateful to be able to come back to Iowa City and, and find the people who can speak to the crises that we're looking at. So I'd appreciate your vote. And I appreciate getting to see you all over the next few weeks, especially at the farmer's market that opens this weekend. So thank you. Mr. Dunn. Thank you. I'd first like to thank everyone for being here today and thank the League of Women Voters for putting this event on. It's incredibly important that people uh, are paying attention to this forum uh, and, and being involved in the democratic processes that make our government responsive and that make it work the way it should, though it's not right now. When it comes down to it, everything is about building the majority. Not a single thing can be done by anyone up here. Nothing that we've said can be done if we don't have a majority. So when I think about what I want to do, I see 60% of this job at least in, as working to bridge the divide that we have in this state between people in rural Iowa, between people in our communities, to make sure that we can get sense back into politics again. 
that we can build relationships and trust, mutual understanding of diverse issues, diverse problems, and diverse people. We cannot build the majority if, like for the last 10 years, we've been completely ignoring over half of the population. We cannot stick to Johnson County. We cannot stick to Iowa City. We have to show up. If we want to do anything on water, if we want to do anything to protect people's right to choose, we have to fight. I want to be the person or one of the people that fights every single day, both in the chamber for what is right and every single day to build our party across the state, lending resources, lending experience in the dozens of campaigns that I've worked in District 4, in District 3, in Marjorie Taylor Greene's district, in Georgia for John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock, securing us the United States Senate. I want to lend that expertise to the people of our state, to our community, so that we can have the kind of power and influence that is going to save lives and save this state. I, my name is Andrew Dunn, and I really hope that I can look forward to having your vote on June 7th. Thank you. Mr. Zabner. Yeah, I would not be the person I am if I wasn't raised in this community. And, you know, our community is so special, and that's why it was so shocking to me at our last forum hosted by the University Democrats when I asked during my closing remarks, who is planning to leave after Iowa after graduation or thinking about leaving? And every single student in the room raised their hand. This is a crisis. We're losing half of our Iowa and Iowa State graduates every year. Our state needs to become a welcoming place. We need to find a way to invest in and retain our best young people. We need to control the out of control costs of our universities. It is ridiculous that we no longer have the best schools in the country because of our legislature's lack of funding. It is ridiculous that proposed funding this year for our Regents universities is lower unadjusted for inflation than the year I was born. Now, the good news, you know, as bleak as things might look here in Iowa, um, is that about a little over a year ago, I was down in Georgia working for John Ossoff. It took them a decade to rebuild their party and flip that state. That is the mindset we have to have, is how are we building the infrastructure now so that we can win these fights, so that we can make our community stronger? What will our state look like in 10 years, in 20 years? I'm running because I'm ready to do that work. I think that we can build a really strong Democratic Party and a really strong state here in Iowa. I'm excited after primary day to get out and work to support some of the great candidates we have running in competitive seats here in Iowa. I'm excited to get out and make sure that every single person in this county that we can get to turn out turns out and supports Christina Bohannon and beats Marionette Miller-Meeks. We need to come together and build a party that can win elections. We need to build a state that can invest in the future and lead on issues like health care, education, and climate change. It'd be an honor to have your vote on June 7th. Thank you to our candidates, those of you in attendance, those watching at home, the Senior Center, and the staff of our local television station for making this video cast and live streaming possible. On May 9th, there will be two forums, candidates for the Democratic primary for Johnson County Supervisor seats and State Senate District 45 will be held at the Center Assembly Room, 28 South Lynn Street, Iowa City, here. The Johnson County Supervisor Forum will begin at 6, and the State Senate District 45 will begin at 7.
We'd like to remind you that the views expressed in this forum are those of the candidates and that sponsorship of the forum is not an endorsement of any candidate. Remember to vote in the primary on or before June 7th. Good night.